The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome to episode 63 of The Things We All Carry. Leadership and mental health are very separate yet related issues in and around a firehouse. A good leader will have his or her finger on the pulse of a crew, have the ability to recognize ups and downs, notice what is and isn't normal for someone, foster an environment and an atmosphere that allows for a crew member to express issues and ask for help. A good leader can also help develop mental fitness and wellness in a proactive approach. A leader, good, bad, or indifferent, can make or break a crew. Lieutenant Mike Nasty is the creator and voice behind Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. Tip of the Spear is a podcast developed for and about leadership. This platform brings the wisdom of various leaders from around the fire service. They share their experience, both failures and successes, so we all can learn from them. There's no sugarcoating and no panacea offered, just solid information from respected voices. I would love to say that we had an agenda and an outline when we started our conversation, but I'd be lying. We let this conversation go where it led us. If you ever want to find the most cliched quotes on the internet, just Google leadership quotes. You'll find voices wide and varied from Abraham Lincoln to Winston Churchill to Michael Jordan. I finally settled on what might be the most appropriate quote for new leaders who succeed in any industry. This voice of wisdom comes straight from Pennsylvania, Scranton to be exact. In the immortal words of Michael Scott, also known as the world's best boss, somehow I manage. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. All right, well, it's another Sunday morning. I'm sitting here with a pot of coffee in front of me and a mic in front of me. I'm kind of getting used to this routine. I, I kind of like it. It's, uh, it's something that us in the fire service, we just don't get where we get a little routine, and, and it's nice. But this morning on the phone, I have Lieutenant Nasty from Prince George's County. He's also Tip of the Spear podcast. It's a leadership podcast that's out, and uh, he sat down with me one day with uh, TJ from uh, keep the promise and then Stephanie from the five after midnight show and we we did we did a round robin kind of discussion with the four of us and and uh lieutenant nasty and i just discussed coming on and, and having him as a solo guest so he's here this morning i'm going to let him introduce himself and tell you tell you a little bit of his background and then we'll get into whatever the hell we're going to talk about good morning sir hey good morning Steph. thanks for having me uh that i appreciate that um my name is mike nasty uh Worked for the Prince George's County Fire MS Department. Been working there for almost 16 years now. I've been a lieutenant for the last almost eight. Um, I started out as a volunteer in 2001 at Huntington Volunteer Fire Department in Calvert County. Um, made my way up to Prince George's. Been there ever since. Um, started a podcast uh, back in January. Published our first episode, I think the last week. So we've been on about three or four months now, just hit 10,000 downloads yesterday. Congratulations. And, uh, That's a big number. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I don't really know the metrics for podcasts, but, uh, it's, it's, it's growing and it's, it's, go, it's doing very well. So I think the best thing we can say about the metrics for podcasts is nebulous. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's that's just, pretty... it's so murky that, you know, you get, you get some numbers and then you're like, well, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I'll go with it. Sure. And the best part is, you know, I'm talking to you and, and TJ and, you know, some other, and Stephanie and some other people that do, uh, that do podcasts, you know, everyone is really supportive and they're like, you know, Hey, this is great. I'm like, Hey, what, what are the metrics on this? Like, what's good? What's bad? And they're like, I don't know. Any list is good. All right, I'll go with it. Works for me. Yeah, I think that's what I've I've settled in. I used to watch my numbers religiously, and then I've learned that that it really doesn't matter. I'm just getting a message out that that I want people to hear. And so, if if one person hears it, perfect. Sure, absolutely. So that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. Uh, I'm married. I got a kid, um, and uh, he's six, and we're all we're doing well. We're healthy, so doing good. So explain your your show a little bit because it's. I'll, I'll repeat for everybody. It's tip of the spear and it's a leadership podcast and it's, it's, it, 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 this is your baby. So why did you decide that you needed to have a leadership podcast out there? So, yeah, so tip of the spear leadership podcast is something that it kind of came up, uh, in January. Um, <clears throat> I remember, you know, I was off of work. I had a minor injury, so I was on, uh, I was on no duty for a little bit and, I was kind of, uh, in my head and, you know, I think, I'm trying to think how to explain this. So I was going through some personal stuff, some stuff that was pretty tough. And, um, I was working through a lot of it. Uh, and one of the things that I was kind of told to do was, you know, Hey, why don't you start writing things down? And I started writing things down. I remember a couple of people were telling me about, you know, maybe you should do a podcast. You know, you could talk to anybody. So I kind of tried it. And it worked out. And while I was off, I started an Instagram page, kind of started dumping my thoughts on what I thought about leadership. And, you know, I, I feel like leadership is lacking. I think there's a big disconnect between um, people learning how to lead and becoming officers. You know, I think, and I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of really good officers, leaders in the fire service. There are, there really are. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a big disconnect in, in some places. And I kind of thought about it. And like I said, I had a lot of time off. So I thought to myself, well, what did I wish I knew when I started that I know now? And, you know, the department that I worked for, we had like a two week crash course to become an officer. And it was mostly administrative stuff that you just didn't do as a firefighter. So they ran through that. They ran through some tactical stuff and that was really it but they didn't really get you in my opinion and i don't think there's really a whole lot of things that'll get you ready to lead and, and and unless you do it yourself and you know and i think that i made a lot of mistakes along the way and so that was kind of the genesis of what where it started and i think you know i started just writing stuff down and everything that i wrote down i took out and made a post put some pictures on it and it just kind of blew up from there really and uh, just kept it simple. I had no expectations of it. And, you know, I figured if nothing else, I, if it doesn't work out or I don't like it anymore or whatever, I'm just going to turn it off and, you know, it, it's over. And so, you know, started putting up some posts, started getting a lot of really, really good feedback. And I just kept going with it. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I think it's all common knowledge out there. I don't think anything I'm saying is anything revolutionary. I don't think it's anything you can't find from other people or anything like that. But what I, what I kind of realized was a lot more people were in my shoes than I originally thought. Whereas, and by that, I mean, you know, there's something I'm human interaction is very difficult and, and leading a group of people to accomplish a goal is the, the basics of what leadership is. And, and I think until you jump in with both feet, you're not going to learn it. And, and I think leaders can be, leadership can be taught. I think there's people that are more, you know, can do better at leadership than others, but it's definitely, you're not, I don't think there's anything, there's no such thing as a, as a, a born leader. It's just not going to happen. It's something you can teach. And I think the, the anchor of that is going to be that human interaction. And that's where I struggled the most personally. And a lot of that was my own doing because I was arrogant. I was young. I got, got promoted when I was 28. I mean, I was young. I was real young and I got promoted and I was an arrogant asshole and, you know, it created a lot of problems and, and, you know, yeah, I just, that's kind of where it came from. And, you know, I, and there's people that I kind of mentored or come to me for mentorship over the years and, you know, happen to promote, you know, I know you struggled, and, you know, can you give me some advice or whatever, or, you know, people that I'm peers with now will kind of come to me time to time and ask things and all that kind of played into me doing this as well. So you, you answered one question that I was going to ask is, is there such a thing as a born leader? And, and in your opinion, no, there's not, there's, are there, is there such a thing? Maybe not such a thing. I would imagine the people that are decent leaders or good leaders were born with some kind of innate character characteristics in their, in their makeup and their DNA. And I'm wondering what, what characteristics of a person makes for a good leader. I mean, you have to, I think you have to care, right? First and foremost, you have to give a shit about the people that you're leading. But I think when it comes, I think the biggest things that can really kind of, I guess, mold you is, I mean, in my, my personal opinion, I think you have to be compassionate. I think you have to be humble. And I think, you know, you have to be honorable, but you know, but in the same token, though, I also, and with your question, I also think it's a matter of objectivity, though, if you think about it. Because, you know, when you say, are you a good leader? You know, what makes up a good leader? What characteristics make up a good leader? What level are we going to go at, right? So that is all, in my opinion, um, you know, that goes by the observer. So then this is the example that I'll show you. Um, Adolf Hitler, was he a good leader or not? Well, he's charismatic as fuck. I can tell you that. Sure. But he but definitely I, got a, a nation of, of millions to follow him. He got it. Yep. So more and you know, in the moral sense, what his leadership was about and who, what he was doing, his goal was terrible, right? Genocide, uh, world domination, all these things. I mean, I, I you could. Everybody knows who he is, so you, you know, you guys understand why ethically and morally he was a terrible leader. But, uh, yeah, terrible values. But when it comes to everything that he accomplished, they, I mean, Blitzkrieg took over Poland in however many hours it was. He took over half the world. He created an ideology and like a cult, really, 
to follow him and brainwash them to accomplish his goal. You know, I mean, so in theory, getting a group of people to accomplish a common goal, he did a very good job at that. But morally, he was a terrible person. Mm -hmm. he, he was, it was, you know what I mean? So I think what I'm, what I'm getting at is I think that, um, when you look at leadership objectively, I think it's a matter of whether they accomplish the goal or not. Now, how do you get there? You have to be able to have that human interaction, right? Personal power versus positional power, right? Stack the captain can tell me, go mop the floor. I'm the captain, go mop the floor. And I'll do it because you're the captain. Or if I've worked for you for a few years, we have a rapport, I build, you know, respect and all that. Well, I know Captain Stack on Wednesdays once the floor is mopped and he wants it done in the morning because we have other things to do. I'm going to do it because I know he needs me to do it. And I want to do it for Stack, not because he's the captain. That's personal power. That's from respect. That's from uh, consistency. That's from confidence. Yeah, it's That's from investment. From investment. Yep. And the human interaction. You have to have an interaction with those that you lead for them to want to do the job. Because, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, for the most part, if you give somebody a direct order, I mean, they're probably going to do it, right? But, I mean, who wants somebody that all you're going to do is bark out the words, right? So what I'm getting at is whoever the leader is, they need to be able to have the human interaction. They need to be able to persuade you to do things because of uh, your rapport, your relationship with them, which is trust. Um, they know that you know what you're doing. You know, those kind of things. That's what I think. So if someone was to, to tell me tomorrow, I, I work for Lieutenant Nasty. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, what makes him a, what makes him a leader for you? What do you think they're going to say about you? Oh man, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm not really sure off the top of my head, but I think, I think they would say something to the effect of being present, being confident, being consistent, um, being transparent, being honest being humble, I think is what they would say. And I, and I always put their best interest in, in, at heart and or take their best interest to heart. You know what I mean? Cause I think if you really care about people and you show that caring doesn't mean I'm nice to you. Caring doesn't mean I'm doing things for you. Caring means I'm going to want to make you better. I'm going to want to get, push you to the next level. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to want you to replace me, right? You always want to be able to replace, you know, teach your replacement. And I'm not saying like, I'm going to, you know, kick me out and you're going to take my spot. I'm saying, you know, develop the future leaders. Like if you have somebody on your shift, that's a lieutenant, you're going to be doing everything you can to make them go to that next level and be a good officer. At least that's what I think. Yeah. I always said that I, you, you don't train someone, you train somebody to be better than you. Yes. And that, absolutely. you know, you, you build them up to be better than you. I'm not saying that you can't achieve the same thing, but, but your goal is to make them better than you are. Because sure. they're going to be there in, in, in the normal situation. They're going to be there leading after you have left the department. Sure. And yeah, you, you know, you always want to be able to push down good things to the people that work with you and then push the bad up. Right. You know what I mean? Push good down. So on the chain of command, you want good things going down to your guys 
bad things going back up the chain of command that need to get fixed, adjusted, or worked on, or you know, to change. So, you know, I think in theory, most of them are going to probably be around longer than you. And I think um, you always want to provide them the things you kind of wish you knew, right? People, what people don't know, they don't know. And I think, you know, our jobs as leaders and officers and all that, I think is, you know, to kind of hopefully give you a better environment than we had. And not that we had a bad environment, but there's a lot of crap I learned along the way that I didn't know until I went through it. Well, here, you know, I learned this. Hopefully you don't make the same mistakes that I do. Let's talk about um, how you guys deal with mental health. Maybe some talk about some resilience and some mental health and, and what avenues are you taking as a leader or, or in your, in your union or whatever it is, what are you guys using or, or trying to accomplish with mental health these days? So our department, um, has a policy and, and a whole program for, um, it's called EAT employee assistance program. It's, it's the generic or not generic. It's the, um, that government level, you know, when you work for county or local governments, they have all those things as required by law um, to help you. Our union um, has paved the way and really pioneered uh, peer support. And so basically what that is, it's put on by the union and it's independent from the department. They work with the department very well and um, it gives our members uh, help, mental health. Our members are and their family, mental health, any type of help you could need for whatever it is they'll find an avenue to get you the help that you need. And, um, you know, there's a guy, his name's Mike Wells. He, he, that's his whole wheelhouse is peer support. I'm sure you've heard of him. Um, any listeners out there that are, you know, I guess in tune with kind of what the DMV does as far as peer support and stuff like that are going to know who Mike Wells is. And uh, him and his team are, are just fantastic. They're second to none. They're innovating. They're always doing everything they can to have a, a fantastic program for our members uh, and their families. And, um, you know, it's kind of taken the reins for our uh, mental health and other things that any uh, employee might need. So as, as a leader, as a lieutenant, what are you doing preemptively for the mental health of yourself and your crew? So most of all, or first of all, you have to take care of yourself. Every individual needs to understand that they are number one when it comes to mental health. You got to take care of yourself, right? And so if you take care of yourself, you're going to put yourself in a position to be the best you can be in a mental health space. And so that's what I believe. Um, you know, I do my best to have work-life balance, to have an outlet. Uh, you know, the podcast has been kind of a big, uh, outlet and being able to network with people and bump issues off of other people is kind of nice. Um, you know, expanding that network. And then, um, you know, once I got myself, it took me a while, but once I got myself into a good space where I felt like I could tell when I was too stressed or I could tell when I need a break or when I could tell, you know, I need to detach and, you know, just step back from everything and take it, you know, a day or two or a week or whatever. Uh, once I figured out how to do that, I think it put me in the position to be able to rec like recognize that, right? So the people that I work with right now, we've all been together pretty close, to, just over four years. Might be a little bit, you know, we'll just say four years for conversation. And 
in time, when you pay attention and you care about people and you engage with them regularly, you can kind of see, you can kind of pick them up. You can, um, you know, know what their kind of normal is. And so that way, when they come in and they're all like, they're not themselves, anything like that, you could, you can recognize it and you could say, Hey, you know, talk to them like, Hey, you know, I noticed this out of the other, and you can kind of gauge it from there. And you can um, see the anomalies in their actions and behaviors and tell when they may, they may need some, you know, some help or, you know, Hey, how's it going? Or you just reach out to them and, and that can lead wherever it leads. And, um, you know, for the good or for the bad, depending on what's going on and, you know, help them out, talk to them, get them some advice if they want it, you know, and just keep an eye on them. Like, not that they need to be watched or, you know, watched like a hawk or anything like that, but, you know, I think you know, as a leader, when you're observing your crew and, and keeping your, your finger on the pulse of, of everything going on, which is your job, um, you know, you're going to pick up on those things and you just kind of reach out to them and chat them a little bit. And, you know, I think in time when you have, again, like, as I mentioned a, while, a little while back about that, uh, personal rapport with people, I think that's when you're going to see them open up or they may, you know, come to you because they know they can trust you because they know you care from your actions. And, um, you know, you, you displaying that you, you care about them. Um, they may come to you and say, you know, Hey, I'm having an issue with this or, Hey, this is bothering me. Or they'll be more open to say, Oh, you know, you know, you as a Lieutenant, Oh, you, he's asking for, you know, what's going on with me. Well, let me tell him, or let me elaborate, or you could also get the flat out. Hey, and this hasn't happened to me. I'm not saying any particular person did this. I'm just saying in general, Hey, I don't want to talk about it. I'm good. And then you just drop it and let it go. You don't bug them. You don't do anything like that. And then, um, you know, it's kind of, that's what I think. How much do you rely on? And, and I don't know what the, the rank structure is for your, for your County. Uh, is there, are there multiple ranks before Lieutenant or the firefighter yeah, so, then? Well, lieutenant? I mean, it's, uh, firefighter, firefighter, medic, technician, Lieutenant. So a technician would be that, that intermediate step between the two, I'm assuming. Right. A technician would be the driver okay. and the quote unquote senior person due to rank. So like in the rank structure of fire two, which is, a, you know, anyone that's off probation and that's not a technician or a medic, a fire two is below technician. Fire three, it just means you have your firefighter medic. They're, they're quote unquote ranks in the structure, but they don't hold um, a ring, if that makes sense. So as the, the first level, go ahead, go ahead. I was say the first level supervision is the lieutenant. So as the lieutenant, do you rely on that senior guy to kind of guide you in some of those situations? Does he have, I don't know, more of a, of a feel for the pulse of, of the crew? Yeah. Yes, definitely. So I think when you, so when you talk about senior, senior guys and senior people, um, what I've, what I've learned and I've, I've observed, and this is something I've definitely, I know I've talked about before is time on the job does not equate to anything beyond you've been around. Right. So you can have a scene, quote unquote, senior firefighter with eight years. And there's another guy in your crew with 15 years. The guy with 15 years has done nothing. He's a slug, you know, you know, and then the guy with that years is he personify you would want firefighter. So he always taking give, he's always giving advice. He's competent. 
He knows what he's doing. He goes above and beyond. He sets the example of what, you know, a good firefighter should be. He's very, very knowledgeable in his area, his equipment, um, interacting with people, his, his personal rapport with others, like those kind of things are very, very important. So, um, you know, just because you have a lot of time on doesn't mean anything. You have to have, um, you know, that productive time on because to me, the senior firefighter, um, are, is a, is it something that you personify, not something you have because of time, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes so, total sense because it's the same thing as saying that you're going to have a firefighter who will who will sweep or mop the floors because they know what the captain wants and they respect that captain sure. for what what he what he or she is, as opposed to going to sweep it because they're afraid of retribution if they don't. Sure. Yeah, and the senior the senior guy, you know, he's usually like the first one there. He knows every building. He knows every piece of equipment. He goes out of his way to mentor, take people under his wing, um, you know, added his personal opinion on certain things and kind of, you know, he's that typically, I mean, not a lot of the time, but typically it can be the person next closest to time on is the officer, but that could even vary depending on the department because, you know, at least my department, you can promote with five years on and then walk in your first day and your firefighter has 17 years, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, and that's I think a, it's all relative to how they act. And that's a whole nother issue, you know, trying to be a, a leader with five years on with with a senior guy with with sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years on the job. And and that's that 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 takes some getting used to. And and like you said, if you if you've never led before, that's a big step. It's a big step. And I think you can be good at your job with five years on. But there's a whole different ball game when it comes to now you're the guy in charge. And I think wisdom comes from years of experience and effort. And I think it's all, it all goes down to the person because there's been officers that I've seen that have five, six years on and they go in and they do well. They do well because of how they were as a firefighter, because they had the good structure. They had the, um, they had the uh, discipline. They had all those things to set themselves up to have the best opportunity to be a good officer. And then there's guys that don't. I was one of the guys that walked in, thought I could throw my rank around and do well. And that didn't happen. I, I mean, I found out very, very quickly how short your extent of power can be just because you hold a rank. I mean, yeah, in theory, you can make these people do things but you can have quite the uphill battle if they don't want to do it. Not so, because they are lazy, but not because it's because of your leadership. So you did that. That's your, that's your personal experience. You came in and you, and you, oh, yeah. and you threw it down. You said, this is who I am. And basically what happened? What, what did they do and how did you recover from it? So it, uh, I mean, it went about as well as you probably think it went. It was kind of, you know, they did what they, they did the, the stuff that they knew they had to do. Right. So any direct order, they would do it, but you know, there's things people can do to kind of send a nonverbal message. Like everybody's hanging out in the kitchen. You walk in, they all stop talking, get up and walk away. I mean, that's, that says something, you know, or you could say, you could be working with one of your guys and say, Hey, 
you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever, whatever. And they're like, okay. And then there's no other conversation. There's no nothing. Or they leave. They're like, oh, well, we're supposed to do floors today. And you always come in and bark at us to do them in the morning. Uh, well, we work till three. So we'll get them done at two 30. Oh, well, we need to do them in the morning. Okay. Well, yeah, we got this, this, and this, we'll get to it. All right, cool. And, or they'll just sit around and do absolutely nothing. And I mean, those, again, those are nonverbal, um, ways they can kind of, I guess would rebel. I don't want to say that, you know, quite that way, but, um, those are the kind of things or. You know, you talk to them and they just don't, they don't answer you. They don't say a word to you. And it's like, yeah, okay. Or you'll you be going on a call and, hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Zero response. Just looking right at the windshield. You know, those kinds of, those kind of things. Or they all get together and they hang out on the weekends. They don't invite you and they put pictures on social media knowing you're going to see it. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. Petty, you know, but it's what's going to happen. It's a, it's know, a response and, and, to, to something that. I mean, that's almost, it's a petty response to a petty action. Correct. And, you know, but one thing I learned when I was a firefighter and kind of going along with this stuff, I do remember the guy saying, look, he's the officer. Yeah. You know, and he's not, you know, they don't respect him or whatever. And they're like, I'm just not going to talk to him. If he tells me I have to do something, I'll do it. Cause he's an officer. But beyond that, I'm not going above and beyond for absolutely anything. I'll do the bare minimum and we'll take care of each other and do our job as firefighters. But yeah. And so, you know, there is no extra stuff. You know, you go on calls, they'll just stand there and you do all the talking, all the work, all that stuff. They'll be like, oh yeah, I don't, you know, don't stand there. You, you know what I mean? Whereas when you have a crew where you guys are, you know, you guys are, are gelled and you all uh, are on the same page. And I think, you know, if there's mutual respect and people aren't afraid to go above and beyond. You know, hey, LT, I got this. Uh, hey, it's just a snark detector. I'll run in here real quick. Uh, I got it. Or, you know, hey, I'm going to knock on the door. I know you're doing, it's a fire alarm. I'm going to knock on the door. I know you do your 360. Um, go ahead. I got this. No worries. Or, you know, this person called the firehouse and I'm pretty sure they wanted X, Y, and Z. So this is what I told you rather than pushing everything to you because you assume. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it it makes a big difference. It's it's taking that that action before uh, without even having to worry about it. Sure. So, I mean, that's kind of I forgot the second part of your question. I apologize. How'd you recover uh, from it? So, uh, I actually had one of the guys that I knew did not respect me. We I don't even remember how the conversation happened, but he kind of we kind of sat down one day. And, we had it out. We hashed it out. And he's like, you know, you're absolutely terrible. Why are you here? You're not doing anything and all, you know, and we got into it and it wasn't a lot of fun. And it was very unfortunate because I was like, yeah, fuck that guy. Like, what does he know? You know what I mean? I don't, I'm not going to listen to him. He's just got a bad attitude. He's an asshole. Well, I ended up going to this leadership under fire class. Um, I ended up signing up for it and then. I remember signing up for it at work after him and I talked and then I'm driving home and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, what if I'm the trap? What if everything he said was right? So, you know, you know how it is when you're like by yourself driving a lot or those shower thoughts where you read an argument or something. I'm sure everybody's been there. And, uh, I started thinking and I'm like listening 
in my, I can hear the entire conversation again in my mind, all the examples you brought up, brought up and I'm like, oh my God, crap. I'm the problem. They're not listening to me because I'm walking in flexing, I'm not walking in, giving them a reason to follow me. I'm not giving them the res I'm not giving them an example to follow. I'm not giving them, you know, a strong, competent leader. And maybe I didn't say leader at the time. I don't think I really dove into leadership quite yet at that point, but I realized it was me. So then, you know, I got a leadership under fire. I, you know, I listened to these classes and while imperative leadership was one of the topics that Bresler brought up and then it goes into crew integrity and, and, you know, how you personify, um, the person that needs to be followed. And the more and more and more I listened to it and the more I realized I am so far off where I need to be and I have a lot of work to do, but it's okay. I can do it. No big deal. And here's the, here's the irony, right? We're sitting, I'm sitting in class this first day. Everybody's coming in. I'm sitting down, chilling, you know, whatever I'm doing. Guess who walks in? The guy that I just hashed it out with. Yeah. The guy that hammered me. And I thought he had a terrible attitude. So in reality, it was a blessing in disguise because he had, he had the balls to say something and not just like, no, good. You're good, Lieutenant. No worries. It's all good. And then keep on down, going down. Now, if he had the balls. He dropped the hammer. I asked him and he gave me the answer. And this guy's now sitting in this class with me and I'm like, shit. So I started there and I started really focusing on, um, giving them a reason to follow me, being a, a officer that, um, they want, that they respect and that they can depend on. And all those things come through your actions. So that's kind of what I did. And it's been a journey and a lot of highs and lows. And I do feel that, you know, leadership is not a destination. It's a process. It's a journey, right? And there's been a lot ever since then, you know, I've, I've really, you know, focused on it and, and I've had a lot of mistakes. I've had a lot of situations that, um, I knocked out of the park. And I've had some situations that I should have dominated that I absolutely did terrible and fell flat on my face, but I got back on. And I think there's something to be said about that as well, that people see, you know, it's not about fail. failures in inevitable. It's all about true. It's all about how you recover from it. And I think, you know, people don't want you to be perfect all the time. They want you to be the officer and the leader when you need to be the officer, but they also see everything, remember everything and hear everything, and they're going to see how you're going to react. And I think when you are humble, you screw up and you, you know, you do whatever, or you, you know, you, you make your mistakes. I think that, um, they see that and that's where they connect and that's where they get that, that relatability that I think draws people in, you know, and, and, and leadership isn't fun. It, leadership's a lot of work. And it's, it's not something to be taken lightly at all. You know, Winston Churchill said mountaintops inspire leaders, but valleys mature them. So yeah, the highs are great, but you also have to take value in your life and accept them and embrace them and work through it. Because I think when you're going through your highs and your lows, people are watching everything. And I think over time you will foster 
um, that reason for people to, to follow you wherever it is. Hey guys, quick break right here just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount and I appreciate all of you. I have one request though. I need you to share the show with everyone you know. Help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. Let's get on with the rest of the show. So, so let's, let's hit on another subject. And I think that it relates in a couple of ways to mental health, um, or at least sure, one way in sure. mental health. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Let's delve into it. Cause you talked about it, I don't know, a couple of episodes ago about the quiet quitter. Yes. From Frank Malta, the, uh, the quiet quitter. That was quite the, quite the concept, wasn't it? Yeah. So why don't you explain to the, to the audience, like what, what, what's your version or your idea of a quiet quitter? So I think a quiet quitter can be many things. Uh, you know, Frank went a lot more in depth with it. Uh, he's, it's something that I think, I don't want to say he's an expert at, but I think it's a concept that he brought to light through his experiences and something that I know he talks about, especially in his department, um, when he's teaching leadership and, you know, the, his command staff, I think, or when they are working through developing leaders, um, but my interpretation of the quiet quitter is literally a label that was put on some, well, not literally, but it was a label put on something that I've noticed and seen and been a person I personally have done, but I never really knew what it was called. So there comes a point, I think, where people become disgruntled. They go through those, you know, like I talked about, there's highs and lows, you know, your, your department ebbs and flows. And I think there's going to be rough patches. And I think once people get to the point where they are burnt out, they're held over all the time, they're called back all the time, they have stuff going on at home and it all conflagrates into one pile of crap and it starts to turn them into um, someone that just starts to slowly give up where their motivation is gone. You know, they don't go above and beyond anymore and they start detaching themselves from people and they start, you know what I mean? So, and I think it's, it's when people are going through a rut, but they just kind of give up instead of, you know, recovering from it. So they're not going to come in and say, Hey, stop, I'm not doing anything today. They'll just slowly start doing those things and slowly stop maybe they might stop coming to work they might call out a lot more you know they might stack go above and beyond or they may you know kind of sit to themselves at work or you know the 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 effort's not there they might be burned out i don't know but i mean that's kind of my interpretation of i guess the best way i can interpret what a quiet quitter is so in other words they're, they're going to come in minimally they're going to do the least of what's expected of them they're going to collect that paycheck um, and they're not going to, I don't know, they're not going to engage as much as they normally would have. Yeah. And it could not be for battery or they could not be because they can have a lot going on. It's not because they're bad people. It's just, I think at some point there comes a point where it's just too much, whether that's what they have going on. Whether works too much, whether they're just burned out, I think it's when they're at a point where they just start giving up or they stop, you know, 
they stop putting in the effort. And see, I think this relates to something that I've talked about quite often. And I think the four of us actually spoke about it when we sat down and recorded at your house is this, um, this idea of, of, uh, that I kind of kick around in my head about this retirement and, and how long a person is designed to do a job such as, you know, firefighting or a high acuity kind of a job. Um, and I think it's very personal, you know, it's from person to person. Um, you may be designed for 35 years, which I hope you don't spend 35 years in the fire service, but you might yeah. be designed for 35 years where, where somebody else might have just been designed to, to do a five-year stint and say, okay, I got my fill. I got to get out of here because I can feel something yeah. changing in me. Um, yeah. and so I, I guess when I, when I hear quiet quitter in the fire service, that's what I start to think. Okay. These people are burned out. They don't, they don't realize that there's a life outside the fire department and you're not necessarily throwing your years of service away, but you're gaining some years of, of exploration and learning it by stepping outside of the fire department. Yeah. I, I think it's actually kind of funny you talk about this because this is something that I've kind of gone through in my mind a lot and for years and years and years, all I ever wanted to do was be in the fire department, make a 30 year career. I can do 30 years, blah, 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 blah. Now I'm at the point where I'm thinking about life after my career, right? So, you know, I want to be able to live a healthy life, both mentally and physically afterwards, you know, and I'm eligible to retire in four years, which would make my kid 10 years old. So there's no reason for me to retire, right? I'm still very young in fairly good shape. I need to get in better shape, which is, you know, something I'm working on. But now I enjoy my time off work more than I ever did in my career. Like I, I'm still excited to get to work. I still look forward to my shift because I have the best shift in the world. And my guys are freaking second to none and amazing. And a rapport creates that environment to make me want to go to work. Not every, everyone, not, not everyone may have that, but as I said before, you know, I, what I learned was that work-life balance, which I didn't, and, and I think once those things start becoming prevalent, I think that's where people may kind of maybe make that transition or swing to that. So that's something that I've noticed a lot was, you know, I don't think I'm going to do 20 or 30 years. I have no reason to. But one thing I've really started focusing on now is what am I doing in my career? Like, I want to be healthy. I want to be able to hang out with my kid and, you know, do sports and all those other things. And I think everyone is different. I think some people just mentally know when they're done. And I think, you know, me personally, I think I'm going to do, I know I'm going to do at least 20, but, you know, I've really been looking forward to you know, my days off, I really enjoy being off work as far as being able to spend time at home with my family and, and have that work-life balance and activities outside of work that are not work. And one thing that I've really, really, really started focusing on, or I guess being, it started becoming really evident to me at least, is not doing fire department things when I'm off. Like I'm still engaged with the fire department because my protests and, you know, my, my Instagram and all that. But like, I don't, I stopped listening to calls at home. I stopped following the news cycle for the fire department. I mean, I've kept what I do have to a very, very bare minimum 
just because when I leave work, I want, I want to be at home. I don't want to, I want work to stay at work and I want home to be home. And when I go to work, it's kind of, it's very similar where I'm at work, I'm engaged at work. And I mean, I look forward to hearing from my, you know, hearing from my family, but I, what I've learned is, and TJ talks a lot about this in the keeping the promise of mental resiliency and, and building well-rounded firefighters. Uh, one thing that TJ specifically brought up that really, 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 I don't know if I ever told him that, but one thing that really resonated with me was that work-life balance and how important it is to just shut it off and let it go. And, uh, you know, that's, that's been a huge lesson that I learned from him. I don't know if I ever told him that or not, but it's made a, a major difference in my life, major difference in my life, which led me to a lot of what I just talked about. Yeah, I'd, uh, I agree with that because there's this, I don't know if it's, I don't know. If, I mean, I've been in this 10 years, so it's, I don't have the experience that, that, you know, 16, 20, 25 years has. And, but I'm curious if it's more so now because of things like Pulse Point and First Do app and all that, where you, you're getting alerted while you're at home. You could be, you can be a state away and you're still getting alerted to, to what's going on in your, in your First Do or your county or your municipality. And you, you, you get on and you, and you follow that, that fire call, which is on a shift or C shift when you're on B shift. And it, and to me, it's just like, I think that takes away from a quality of life and, and it kind of starts to, to chip away at a quality of life. Cause it's not, it's not the most, it's not the most intrusive thing, but it, it is intrusive. And then it'll erode, it'll erode away at you. Right. Exactly. So, and then, then you start going, okay, well now I need to, I need to, I didn't get my. CPR recertification done at work. So now I'm going to do that at home and get that done. Well, you know, let's try and wait till you're on shifting and do it. And sometimes you can't do that because you're so busy. Sure. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so th those little things start to add up, they add up and they add up and then you're taking a call about what, and then you're taking calls about it, especially if you're not in, especially for you as a leader, you're probably, you probably get calls or text from your guys and, and you answer those. And, and that's not really, that's part of being a leader in, in any kind of a, uh, industry. So that, that has to be taken care of. But, you know, one of the, one of the things that interested me about the fire department was, uh, it seemed to be one of those things where I didn't have to take work home with me. Yeah. You know, I was, I was in, I was in an industry where I did a lot of work at home because I was doing, um, I was doing some behavior work with kids and families that have autism. And so it, it never really got away from it. And I felt like, well, maybe I can get away from it in a, in a job like this. But really, it, it's kind of morphed into something where there's a lot of stuff you do outside of the fire department now. Yeah. And, and you know, I think, I think you still have to take the reins of that as well. I mean, that's going to ultimately come down on you as the individual. You, you know what I mean? I'm just as guilty of anyone of pulse point hitting and me looking at it being like, oh, I'm going to listen to that. And yeah, yeah, it hit your watch while we were recording it, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And I, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it just, you got to be able to shut it off. And I think there's always going to be that genuine curiosity. I think it's something that subliminally is kind of the love for the job, which, you know, you got to have love for the job, but you know, you got to have that balance of being able to turn it off. And I never fully embraced or appreciated that until like I so told you, TJ was talking about, and then I started thinking about it and then started doing it. Um, the, the watch thing was a complete anomaly because I forgot to turn it off when I left work. But, but, um, I mean, just think about it, you know, like when you're at work and you see your relief in the morning and you know that you're completely off, 
you know what that feel like that's a feeling like that's something you can physically feel in your body see your relief you go, ah, i'm good i can go home now right that's a subconscious feeling in my opinion whether people realize it or not or they 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 uh, recognize that or not i know it's something that i went through and that's been happening a lot in the last few years like i can physically feel my body become relaxed when I see my relief in the morning and I, I'm off the clock, I'm rolling home, see you later. And I'm off and I'm rolling home and I'm going to be home for three days if I don't have the overtime or a swap, which, you know. But the other thing I noticed too was my, I used to like working overtime a lot because I get to see people and interact and, you know, see people I normally don't see on a daily basis and work and they're guys that I work with that I'm like, you know what I mean? It's fun. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy and interacting and the interaction part. And I think the interaction with your coworkers that you like, I think is a huge draw where people stay so engaged all the time. You know what I mean? Because think about it. If you have five friends that you hang out with regularly and you all work in the same department doing the same job, what are you probably going to talk about? Yeah. No, work. you definitely work. do. You definitely do. You know, and they're always around. And they're like, I'm not saying you only have five friends because the number of friends you have shouldn't matter. But you know what I'm saying? The people that you were close with and that's all you talk about. Do you ever really fully disconnect? And then you have everything at your fingertips, everything in the world. Like we're talking right now. I'm open my phone up. I can go straight to Instagram. And the very first thing that pops up is a guy that made a meme about the fire department. In a second, I'm immediately looking at something that has to do with fire, right? It's never really gone because right. you're, it, it's never, you know what I mean? Because you're always into it. So that's why you have to learn to detach. You have to learn to be able to have that balance. And my wife yells and screams at me. She doesn't yell and scream, but my wife gets pissed <laughs> off at me fairly regularly. She's like, what are you doing on your phone? Oh, I'm updating my Instagram. Oh, I'm pulling this clip from my podcast. She's like, well, why don't you just turn that damn thing off or put it down? Like... It's consuming you. And I'm like, what's well, so in my new heart is figuring out the balance with that. But that's the whole point is it's never really gone if you don't let it leave. You know, I have a drumming instructor. What, so I play in pipes and drums band. And um, the one thing I like the most about it is there's that common, that like everybody knows, yeah, we're on the fire department, but we're here to do musical stuff. So let's talk about music, play music, talk to each other, talk about our families. We don't talk about the fire department at all because mm -hmm. it's the outlet, right? And one of the instructors says, you know, Hey, the best part about drumming is people can't miss you if you're not, if you don't leave. So if you don't, if you don't stop playing and you're playing the whole time, they're not going to appreciate it when you, when you play. So that's the whole point is the detachment, the not having it consume you. And I, and I think that's why, I mean, I mean, I'm not a, like a psychologist, but I think that's why mental health is taking such a large uptick. And what I've noticed more so, I guess, while we're talking in my mind, I'm kind of thinking about it, the more social media took off, the more mental health took off. And then when everyone was in home for COVID, the fire department, the fire service, in itself went through its biggest challenge ever, probably. And more people at home and more stress. And when more people are at home and there's more stress, they're doing all the stuff on their devices. And what are they doing? They're probably on social media, looking at work stuff. And I think it all wraps into it. 
You know what I mean? And, and I think it's the lack of the, the lack of ability to disengage and yeah, I don't know, man. You know, I think that's going to become a much larger issue. Obviously you, you and I and, and TJ talked about was and Stephanie, I'm sorry. We all talked about it that day. Um, TJ talked about the firefighter who wants to TikTok and, and, and you can't really get through to him or, or her. Sure. And sure. And I think that's just going to be such a big issue here pretty soon because I, I was talking to someone last night and I, I asked about teenagers having fun and they were, the, the reply was, this is kind of what happened. This is what COVID did because it, it separated people from their friends. It separated people from their social experience and their social, sure. social experience became their phone. And you, you add COVID to the fact that that shit is just plain addictive. And mm -hmm. it, you know, the flashes, the, the, the filters, everything that TikTok or Instagram does you know, or whatever platform you're on, all the stuff they do to hook you. Plus the fact that you were taken out of a social setting, then of course it's going to become addictive. And I, I'm, I'll relay a story from the Verizon store the other day, my phone shit to bed last Sunday and I was without my phone for three and a half days. And, and I was in Verizon getting my new phone set up and I hear one of the salesmen said, uh, well, I asked her if she wanted to trade in her phone. And she said, no, I think I'm going to give it to my one and a half year old. Ugh. And I was like, what the fuck? You're going to give a phone to a one and a half year old to play games and watch videos? No, no, that's not what we do. Yeah. And Damn. so, and, and then it hit me. It's like, well, this is something that, you know, it didn't hit me. It, obviously I'd been thinking about it before, but it just, it strengthened that thought of how do we defeat this when in any, in any industry, not just the fire service. Yeah. And, but you know, it's all, again, I think it's relatability as well. Right. And maybe relatability is not the right word, but so TikTok, at least my experience with TikTok is it draws you in with vision, but then it also draws you in with music. And if you've ever done any type of studies and, you know, you had your experience working with, you know, people in your, in your previous job, music, the effects music has on your brain and the, 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 what it does when your brain engages in music, like it lights it up with activity, right? So now you have this app that's at your fingertips that relates music, relates you know, vision, music, hearing, all those things wrapped together. I mean, it's a recipe for addiction. It oh. really is. Oh yeah. And then you throw that in front of a kid that just sees bright, shiny things and music and knows, you know, what they like. I mean, my son's very guilty of, or not guilty. My son's very into different things on YouTube and YouTube kids. I mean, and like a little Nintendo and all that stuff. And, and I think it's you know, something that I personally have struggled with, with boundaries, but I've really embraced it, uh, when he was born of boundaries and discipline for myself. And I mean, it's just what you have to do. You, you know, I mean, I have my phone in my hand a lot more than I need to, and I'm guilty as shit of it. And it's something I'm working through. And I think with the phones and all that stuff, and then the TikToks and all that crap with, with the kids, I mean, it's, you gotta set up boundaries and you gotta hold it. You gotta, you gotta be accountable to it. And you have to start, that has to start with you, you know, as the parent or as, as, the, as the leader and TJ's example of kids, TikToking and stuff like that, when they're at work and not listening and all that. I mean, I remember him talking about it and I remember kind of chuckling and then going to work and not, not any one of my shift. I'm just saying like, just in general, in my travels, I'm sitting there like, oh, shit, 
goddamn, he was right. Like, I didn't even think TJ wasn't right. I'm just saying, like, he was, it's really out. Now that it's thought about it, I'm actually looking for it. It's, it's, it's a lot. You, you know what I mean? And, you know, he was really was on to something about it. And yeah, man, I don't know. I just, it gives me such anxiety about my kid being addicted to that crap and trying to do the best to set up boundaries and, you know, you can't sit on a thing all day long. Here's your time. Like you want to do it in the evenings. Okay, fine. No big deal. All right. But it, it, you can't just sit there or, or when they're being a pain in the butt, you can't just hand them a phone or hand them an iPad. Like it, it just doesn't work that way. And that, and when you do that, you just, I just think it creates a ton of problems, but cultural, cultural and societal actions. This is that. You're going to have to edit that part out. Um, <laughs> so society and culture have allowed kids to do those things. Like, here's a good example for that too. And I don't know how this is going to relate to any of it. I don't even know why it came to mind, but I moved into a new neighborhood. We built the house a couple of years ago. You know how many kids have come and knocked on my door to cut my grass or snow, shovel snow? I'm going to go with none. Zero. You know what I did when I was a teenager, 10, 12, 13 years old, because I wanted a bike? Cut grass. I did crap around people's houses that they probably didn't want to do, or they were, you know, oh, you're going to knock on my door and ask me to cut my grass. Cool, man. 10 bucks, five bucks, whatever. And you did that for a summer, every summer, pushing a lawnmower, a push mower around with a weed whacker bungee corded to it. And you're carrying a cooler or, you know, you're carrying a, you know, this thermos water bottles. Yeah. You know or I mean? you're just drinking from the, the spigot on the outside of the house. You're drinking from the homes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. You know how many kids are driving from a hoser out here? None. Zero. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, got, I finally got my kid to do it not that long. And I, I forgot what I was doing. It was last summer. I forgot what we were doing. And I drank him. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm thirsty. He's like, ew. I'm like, no, try it. He's like, I'm not doing that. I'm like, go and try it. So he did. He's like, huh. Did you see? It's, it's an endless tap of water. Amazing. It's an endless tap of water, dude. Like, this, this is going to mold you into a good man when you grow up. Just when I, when I grew up in Florida, that's what allowed us to go neighborhood to neighborhood to neighborhood, you know, because it's so fucking hot in there and, and you're sweating all the time, but yeah. we never left with a water bottle. You jump on your bike and you go for hours, come back at sundown. But the only water we got was from the garden hose at people's houses. Sure. And you know, and, and the neighbor, and the one thing I do see, and I do have to say, I'm actually very happy about this. So this neighborhood, I mean, there's a lot of young kids. So maybe in a few years, they'll probably start knocking door to door, trying to cut grass. But the one thing I do see a lot is everybody's outside riding bicycles. Okay. And you get that, you get that proverbial, where's everybody at? You see a ton of bikes in someone's driveway. Yeah. All the kids are. Yeah. Which is awesome. That's how it was when we were kids. You know what I mean? And one, and this is going to sound so cheesy, but the one thing that kind of gave me hope the other day was I watched this kid. he, He had to be five or six years old zipping by and he had baseball cards with clothing, uh, clips the uh like you put on a clothes right Cl- clip to his bike sounded like a motorcycle yeah by. i'm like all right we're gonna be good old school <laughs> I mean, old school special effects yeah I mean, you know, we used to do when we were kids i'm like all right you know what that's pretty cool <laughs> so but yeah it just yeah i think the electronics man i really think that's what keeps people from disengaging and, and you it's almost like you go through life not appreciating things because you don't see them because you're distracted Right. And that's a tough, that's a tough lesson that I had to kind of realize a couple of years ago. And I mean, I called it early, I think, you know, especially after my kid being born, but yeah, that's what I just try to work on, man. And, and 
you know, bring it back full circle. I think with all those things added up, that's why you're having people, um, you know, turn around on their phones all the time because they and be stop. And if you work, if you know, if you work with me, and I think you're on your phone too much, I'm gonna say something. And you know, I've had people say to me, "Hey, you're on your phone too much. All right, well, I need to fix that." Yeah, and nobody likes to hear you know that that criticism, but but sometimes it's necessary, and and yeah. I know I need to be reminded of it quite often myself. So it's just I think it's it's part of the it's the nature of the beast nowadays. And then there's gonna have to be, and we won't solve that problem today because I'm not gonna keep you much longer on your Sunday morning. But there's gonna have to be a solution that we come to 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 bring that new. And that new generation of people, not just firefighters, but people into a workforce. And how do we integrate these people into a workforce where you can't just spend the day on your phone? Yeah. And you have to find a common ground for them. Like you have to entice them a little bit, but then also kind of get them to do what you want. Right. So like, you know, yeah, I need you to come out. You need to be productive. Uh, you can't, you know, if somebody, I don't know, hey, Dave, we're at work today. You really can't screw around with your phone, but I'll tell you what. We don't have an Instagram page or we don't have whatever. I want you to do that. I want you to figure something out and do a little social media for us. And you can take some pictures here and there and do some stuff. But, you know, seven to three, I need you to be doing stuff. Unless it's something you want to snap a picture of real quick or record a little video while we're training that we can upload it and mess with it later. But seven to three, we got we to do our job. On downtime, do whatever you want. You, you know what I mean? We'll be productive from a certain period of time. You know, you should always embrace those things with people too and, and kind of compromise and meet them in the middle, you, you know, because in time, you know, it, I mean, ultimately it is about what they're doing in the moment, but inevitably it's always going to be about what you can control and what you can't control. Yeah. Right. So it, you got to find that balance and entice them to do what is right and it, not entice, but you have to lead them. And I think, you know, I mean, if you think about it, you're a young kid and I come in a yacht and you get off your phone, you're like, yeah, whatever, you're the attitude and it's just going to be a perpetual cycle. But if I come to you and say, hey, look, you can't screw with your phone right now, but here's a project here. This is now your responsibility. This is your baby. Go forth and conquer. And I want you to do X, Y, and Z. You know, in my experience, people like that. They're like, oh, well, he's trusting me to do something. I can do what I, you know, I can mess with TikTok. I'm good at that. I enjoy doing that. And I have to stay within his parameters. All right. I mean, I can do that. Sure. You, you know what I mean? I, I feel like you, I've always had pretty good success by dealing with, um, situations like that, by giving them responsibility. It's worked out. Perfect. Let's talk about my two questions. And you answered one of them when we sat down a couple of weeks ago about an everyday carry. And do you want to repeat sure. that or do you have something else you want to add to the everyday carry? I don't remember the everyday carry. I, I don't remember I'm what sorry. you said either. So I, I, don't, I don't remember at all. <laughs> what, what, what's something I'm you, drawing a total blank. <laughs> what's something that you, you, if you leave the house without, you feel naked. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I had a feeling you were going to say your phone, and that's ironic as can be. But, you know, it, it, this is something I actually kind of snap at my wife about sometimes because she's like super old woman school, old school about it. Like, she doesn't give a shit about her phone. She could throw it on the counter, not talk on it, be off of it for a month. 
Like she wouldn't give a shit. But me personally, I don't have my phone. I don't have a link to know. And I don't have, and this is something that I think about a lot is like, if something happened to them and can't get a hold of me, that's what bothers me, right? That when we're physically apart, if they need to get a hold of me for an emergency, I don't have my phone. That's what bothers me. Not because I have to get on Instagram or anything like that. That I could care less about. You, you know, I'll check it when I check. But not having that connection to the world or specifically, you know, the people I care about, that kind of bothers me a little. Not because I'm worried about the social media is what I'm saying. What's, uh, what are you read? What are you reading these days? Well, I'm kind of bouncing around a little bit. Um, there's a book that actually kind of really, really stuck out with me and it was the wisdom of the bullfrog. And I know there's some people out there that are Jocko fans, oh, Stephanie. Um, but <laughs> it was a book that he taught. <laughs> it was a book that came up on his show by, uh, McRaven and, you know, I always try to take things at face value and I was kind of interested as to what the book was about. And so it's the bullfrog is a term given to the most senior seal commander. And it, it's bestowed on somebody that has the most time on that's on active duty. And that's what he wrote about. But everything in his book is so basic, bare bones, simple. It's very relatable. It's very, very easy to listen to. And the translation into work and life is unparalleled by almost any book I've read. And I think I've listened to it probably four times. And every time I listen to it, I pick up something else. So it's a really good one. It's a, it's a, it's a really, really good book. And that's something, um, that's something that I've been kind of, uh, I guess stuck on right now. And then, uh, the other one, I'm actually, I'm actually going to revisit this book. And it's a book that I, I really, um, I really enjoyed, uh, when I first figured it out or when I first found it about yeah. first found it, excuse me, was, uh, Red Platoon. It is by Clint Romache and, uh, he's a Medal of Honor recipient and it was about the attack on his, uh, Camp Key forward operating base in, I think it was Afghanistan. I don't remember where it was, but basically, um, they got overran and then his, his leadership to, uh, take the base back and, and get everyone because inevitable death was, was there, right? So he took a group of soldiers and, uh, they got their base back. They lost eight people, I believe, but they, I think everybody would have died if it wasn't for his leadership and leadership by example. And, um, you know, I just, I just think it's a, it's a, it's a really good book overall so that's kind of where i'm at awesome i will add those two to the show notes and uh remind everybody where they can find you and and what's on the horizon for you yeah so you can just go to uh it'll be at tip of the spear leadership with underscores uh, you could probably just add it add it to the link um you search tip of the spear leadership i come right up on instagram facebook TikTok. um i don't really mess with twitter that much and uh you know, I think where I'm going overall is I'm going to niche down through the advice of a couple of people you may know <laughs> and focus purely on, uh, purely on like company officer stuff, stuff that, uh, was very, you know, lessons that I learned, mistakes that I made, um, those kind of things moving forward is kind of where I'm, where, where I'm focusing on. Um, I think at some point. I'm going to put something in some type of writing. 
I don't know what that is. I don't have a time frame on that, but I do think I want to write something sometime soon, but I'm not sure. So that's kind of what's on the horizon. But I mean, most of all, I'm going to keep working on growing the podcast. You know, if anybody cares to take a listen, we've had some really good guests. We're going to have, some, we're going to continue to have some really good guests and, you know, get the message out there from that, from that street level. You know, I think that's a lot more relatable than I realized at first and you know, through some really good advice from TJ and Stephanie, you know, guys and girls, you know, and a girl that are that target audience, I think of people looking for good leadership, you know, but niche, niche down over their, their advice and, you know, something I greatly respect and appreciate from both of them. So they're listening to this and I, you know, I don't know if I thank them enough, but you know, thank them. And it's kind of, they're helping me on my trajectory and kind of gave a nice change of change course. And, um, yeah, that's where we're working towards. And like I said before earlier, I think I mentioned we hit 10,000 downloads and it's going to keep growing. So perfect. I think that uh, that'll wrap it up. Sounds great. Thank I, you for having me. I appreciate a little bit of a little over an hour of your time this, uh, this morning and uh, go enjoy the rest of your day. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and you as well. All right, man. Take care. All right. Have a good day. All right. We're out. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.